Thank you for uh, being with us today and worshiping with us. If you would uh, open your Bible, please, to Genesis chapter 15. We are going to uh, work through just the first uh, six verses of this chapter, which I believe will be enough. These are well known to most of us. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we worship you this morning. We recognize that you alone are God. that you have created us and that we need you. Father, as we turn to this well-known passage and a well-known subject, I pray that you would work in our hearts that over these next few minutes as we have your word open, as we seek to understand what you have written here, that you would be at work in us, that we would not be distracted by things that have gone on this week, or perhaps things that are going on or that we fear are going on right now, nor the things that are upcoming. Those things may be important, and we may need to take those things up later, but over these next few minutes, I pray, Father, that we would be focused on Your Word and these subjects that You have before us today. Help us to understand how it is, Father, that we, sinful human beings, can worship You as we ought. And so we pray for Your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. We've taken a little bit of time off from uh, Genesis, just a a brief period, and now we pick up the story again, and uh, we're going to come back to uh, where we were in Genesis and deal with just this first section here. Genesis 15 is a very well-known uh, passage, and uh, I confess that my initial goal was to cover the whole chapter today, and then I realized at some point in the week that that's crazy, 
and uh, maybe, maybe we could do so, maybe we could cover the whole thing, but it would take a while, and I was uh, not sure how well we could do that and understand and get from it what we ought to. So we're chopping it down and just going to do the first paragraph and uh, look at these first six verses. And I think there is enough there to hold our attention and to raise questions for us and answer questions for us. And really, as we come to this passage, there are two big questions that are being discussed in this passage that are being answered in just these few short verses. And the overarching question, which is the question of the Bible, really, the question that we ought to have when we come to the Bible, it's one of the great questions of all of reality and mankind's existence. How can a sinful person be made right with a holy God? That's, that's one question that is being discussed in this passage, but there's a, a more uh, detailed and a, a, a finer question, perhaps, related to the circumstances that, that uh, Abram is going through, and that is, how can an old man with no children get an heir? Now, one of those questions seems more significant than the other, but we will see that this passage deals with both of them there. How can an old man with no children get an heir? And so, we turn to our passage, and we'll work our way through it, and, and it's just a few verses here, so um, the outline is relatively brief, and you've got that in your notes there, and the first uh, point of the outline is God promises a reward. We see in verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So God comes to him in this special vision, and we're going to see that this is a vision that takes place in the nighttime, but what I want to notice first is he said, after these things, verse 1 says, after these events, and we always want to pay attention to the context in which God speaks, the context of the passage we're reading, because that helps us to understand and frame in our minds what is and is not going on. And so when it says here, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, what things had just happened. Well, you can look up into verse, or chapter 14 and you can see that uh, you had this uh, major event go on in the life of Lot. Remember, Lot in chapter 13 had decided that he wanted to move to uh, the place of Sodom and Gomorrah and live in that region. He thought that looked like a, a great place to put down roots and raise a family. And so he moved there. Well, then that ends up getting him in trouble in verse 14. And we saw that actually these kings from the east, these, uh, a powerful coalition of powerful kings had uh, come into the region and they had um, dominated this region and so that uh, the, the, the area around Sodom and Gomorrah and all those places had been paying tribute to these foreign powers, etc. Well, there had been a squabble and the local people decided they didn't want to pay that tribute anymore, which caused those eastern kings to come back to town. And in doing so, they scooped up all manner of property and people, including Lot and his family, and, and hauled them off. And so now Lot, who is Abram's nephew, uh, his relative, and someone that he feels responsible for and has care for, uh, Abram goes to war against these, this coalition of kings that had been able to dominate the whole area. 
And wonder of wonders, God makes it so that Abram and his men are able to go in and defeat these kings and, and reclaim Lot and all of the possessions there uh, of Sodom and bring them back. It's a, it's a miracle. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that God did in that time. Well, we were surprised that it happened the first time, that he was able to, to sneak in and, and by cover of darkness uh, uh, take over these uh, powerful kings. But now when he comes back, he might be wondering if retribution is going to happen. If he should be scared of these eastern kings that had dominated the region for years. So that maybe was in his mind, but that calls to mind uh, for us these events when the author here says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram. Abram had reason to at least be concerned about what was going on in the world what was going on in regard to him. And so I think that's kind of the background here that sets the the tone. And God opens up with the very famous phrase that we need to hear often, fear not. Now, why would Abram need to hear fear not? Probably because he was fearing, or at least he was tempted to fear, right? When God tells us in his word to, to do something or to remember something, it's because we're not doing that thing. Or we're not remembering that thing. And he wants to remind us. And so uh, the word comes out here from the Lord to Abram, fear not. He says, I am your shield. They may come against you. These kings from the east with all their uh, political and military might, they might come against you. Okay. I am your shield. What else do you need? So fear not. And so this would have been a heartening thing for Abram to hear. This would have been an encouraging thing to hear from the Lord that, okay, I, though, though I may feel like I'm vulnerable, yet I have God as my shield. And so Abram hears from the Lord, fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. What a wonderful blessing. What a wonderful and encouraging thing to hear from God. Fear not. I am your shield. You have nothing to be afraid of. I'm going to reward you greatly. Now, you'll notice, uh, if you think back to the encounter that happened there with the king of Sodom, king of Sodom wanted to uh, give all this stuff to, uh, to enrich Abram, and Abram was wary of the king of Sodom, as well he ought to be. And, uh, and so Abram comes out of this thing. Yes, he's got Lot and all this stuff, but he, he has no, uh, no, no uh, reward. He didn't come back with the spoils of victory except for Lot, Right? But God says, don't worry. Your reward shall be so much greater than ever could have been given to you by the king of Sodom or any other king. So God is promising a reward. God comes to him and this is what he says. Well, we see in verses 2 and 3 that Abram has concerns. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So I'm sure Abram was very thankful for God's promise to be his shield, but that's not really what he picks up on. What he picks up on here is this idea of reward, that God is going to reward him. And it seems like in Abram's mind, really the only reward he really wanted was an heir a child. 
And of course, we know the story of Abram. We've been working through this, and we know that he is advanced in years, and his wife is advanced in years, and, and they have no children. He has no children, and so he's not really concerned about riches. Remember, he's been down to Egypt, and he left Egypt with a whole bunch of riches. Like, he's, he's grown so powerful that he himself was able to go to war with foreign kings, right? So he has riches. He has wealth. But in his mind remains that one thing, an heir, an heir. He has no biological heirs, no offspring, and it looks like he may have to to find a member of his household and adopt that member of his household and and make him his heir. And so he's confused. He he doesn't understand how this is going to work. He's apprehensive, and so Abram has concerns. And in light of that, and in light of Abram's concerns, we see in verses 4 and 5, God gives reassurance to him. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer of Damascus, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And so, God is saying, all right, I, I see you thinking, Abram. I see you casting about to try and find an heir, to try and find someone who fits that role. Since they don't have any children yet, it must be somebody else. And so there was a mechanism within the culture in which they lived that you could, you could adopt another member of your, of your household who could serve as your son, serve as your heir. That would mean taking care of burying you when you died. Uh, uh, there would be inheritance issues and other things like that where this person could be brought in. And, and God says, no. This man, this Eliezer of Damascus, he's not going to be your heir. He's not the one you're looking for. Your very own son shall be your heir. Which might have caused Abram to look around again. I still don't have a son. Now, why why was he so concerned? Why was Abram so concerned about a child? So concerned about this son? Well, the The reason is, the main reason is that all of God's promises to Abram from chapter 12, the beginning of Abram's story, are bound up with his having offspring. The promises of that he would be a great nation can't happen if he doesn't have offspring. The promises to make his name great. If that's to continue, if that's to be as as great as, uh, as we see it's going to be, there need to be offspring. If he's to be a blessing to all the families of the earth, that's going to be connected with offspring, the seed of Abram, and even the land. In order for there to be a land that's going to be inherited and populated by his people, there need to be a people. There need to be offspring. And so if he has no offspring, then fulfillment of these promises uh, is not really possible. If he has offspring, they can be fulfilled, and you can see the path for how these things are going to be brought together, but he continues without a child. And so, this is, a, this is an amazing picture that we, that we have here, uh, this situation where God says, no, it's not going to be one that you're going to have to adopt. It's going to be your very own son. And then, and then you see God uh, illustrating and making it very clear for him. He brought him outside, verse 5. And he said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you were able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. 
So Abram is racking his brain. He's trying to figure this out. He's come up with this plan. Okay, we can do this adoption thing with Eliezer of Damascus, and he can kind of play that role, and maybe, maybe we can kind of jerry-rig that to make, to make it work somehow. And, and God says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. It's not going to be someone you adopt, not someone from your household. It's not going to be this man. It's going to be one of your very own children. Your very own son will be your heir. So he takes him outside. He says, look to the sky, Abram. Now, in those days, they wouldn't have had any kind of light pollution. There would have been no, you know, street lights competing with the stars in the heavens. And if you've been way out in the desert, if you've been way out in the country where there's no light pollution and you see the stars in the heavens, it's amazing. It's, it's almost unbelievable. And that's the situation that God takes him to and looks to the skies and says, can you count all those? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll, you know, I'll wait while you, while you count. And so he takes him out there and he says, you can't count them. Neither can you count your offspring. So shall your offspring be. And again, this is key. This is important. This is all bound up in Abram's mind. Having this seed, having this child, makes all of the other promises possible but without this child, without this seed, he can kind of patch together some semblance of something that looks kind of like a fulfillment of the promises that God made, but not really. And so God takes him out and shows him this illustration. And wonder of wonders, amazingly, I mean, if you put yourself in that spot, you've continued decades with no child. You've continued decades in this same in the same situation, and your wife has continued the same decades. The clock has ticked. <laughs> it's not even ticking anymore. But we hear these words spoken in verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believes God. God had made a, he had promised a reward. Abram had expressed his concerns God came and gave reassurance, and Abram believes God. He takes God at his word, despite the circumstances, despite the way everything looked. He believes that God would do what he had said he would do, though he lacks any visible evidence that that's going to be the case. I mean, how often do you and I, when we, we go to God's Word and we read a promise about the Christian life or, or uh, we, we talk about the promises of God regarding our own salvation and hope in Christ and, and all those things, and we say, yeah, I, I see that, I get that. And then you go into life and you say, but I don't see you blessing me in my life. The circumstances tell me that I'm, I'm not blessed. I'm, it seems like I'm cursed sometimes, or, or maybe I've just been forgotten. I'm kind of on the shelf. Their circumstances can really distract us, but not for Abram, at least not in this case. God makes his promise, shows him the stars, and said, that's what your offspring will be like. And Abram believed God. He took him at his word, and God counts that faith to him as righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Well, essentially, 
It means to be consistent with God's law. To keep God's law, it means to act consistently with what God commands. In other words, it means to act consistently with God's character. Because God's laws, God's commands are reflections of His character, telling us to act in the same way. And so, someone who is righteous is someone who has kept God's law, right? Well, this is uh, an amazing thing because we've been reading about Abraham for some time and we know him well enough to know that that's not him. I mean, you just think about the one instance of him going down into Egypt and uh, convincing his his wife to lie and say that she's actually just his sister, and then going along with That's all you need to know. You don't have to know anything else about Abram to know that he has not acted consistently with God's character. He has not kept God's law. At times, perhaps, in certain ways, perhaps, but he has not reflected consistently with God's character. And yet, according to verse 6, God counts him righteous. How can that be? Well, this paragraph here, just these six verses, paints for us a very important picture of the logic of Scripture regarding salvation and how salvation happens. Abram believed that God would keep his promise about the seed. And that that promise regarding the seed was key to all the promises. And Abram believed God's word regarding that seed. And that faith, that trust was somehow counted by God as righteousness. And so we come to uh, our two questions again that we started with. I I said at the very beginning this passage answers two questions. First, how can sinful man be made right with holy God? And second of all, how can an old man with no children get an heir? Well, those are two questions, but they have one and the same answer. They are bound up together. How can an old man with no children get that promised heir and through him receive a countless offspring? How can that happen? Well, by trusting God and by trusting God's promise. And amazingly, Abram does. And we're going to see, uh, you know, there's, there's some more uh, problems here. Chapter 16 is going to lead us into another little uh, problem regarding uh, the offspring and how that's going to be. Now Abram knows it's going to be one of my own children, but God didn't say anything about my wife, and so maybe there's another way that I can have a child, right? He, his first idea, his first way to cobble together uh, some sort of uh, fulfillment of God's promise to him was to say, well, maybe it was Eliezer of Damascus. Maybe I found another guy that I could adopt, and he will be my heir, and that will work. And God says, no, that's not the case. Well, later on, he's going to have a different issue, but we see that he, he hears God say to him, I will give you children from your very own body, and they will be numerous, myriad. And Abram believed him. And so, how can an old man with no children get that promised heir? By faith. He's not sure the mechanism. He's not sure what route it's going to take. He's not sure quite what it's going to look like, and there will still be issues in the future. But he believes God. Okay, it will be from my own body. He believes God. Well, it doesn't end there. 
Somehow God counts that to him as righteousness. And the New Testament picks up on that same language. You've, you've heard these verses before. You've heard these words before. It was, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's because the New Testament picks up on that exact same language and, and talks about a different topic. Very, very closely related in the New Testament. Answering the question, how can sinful man be made right with holy God? You see, the New Testament authors, particularly Paul does this, looks back and reflects on this passage and he sees how was it that Abram, that we know was not a righteous man, Abram who had not obeyed God's commandments, Abram who was not a shining example of God's character, he didn't look like God in his behavior. How could he be declared righteous? Well, it was by faith. So, Paul picks up on this same thing in Romans chapter 4, and he says this, uh, verses 1 through 5 of Romans 4. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see, Paul has in mind there in Romans chapter 4, he wants to make very clear what he's been arguing in the the beginning chapters of Romans, that, that if you're going to count upon your own actions to be right before God, First of all, if you were to be righteous in your behavior, then God would not be giving you a gift. There would be no grace involved. God would be paying you your paycheck, giving you what you deserve. And the language here is about God's gracious counting Abram as righteous. And so he says, if you were to keep God's law, and God were to reward you, that would just be your paycheck. But Paul's been arguing that you don't keep the law. You never have. And so you can't measure up, and so you don't meet God's standard. And so to the person who has not met God's standard but believed in God who justifies the ungodly, it's counted as a gift. Righteousness is gifted to him. You can't earn it. It's a gift by faith, which, by the way, we're going to develop that uh, in our evening service tonight. We've started up our um, Sunday evening services. We'll be meeting at 6 o'clock just in the fellowship hall. And this evening, uh, the goal is to work all the way through Romans chapter 4 and particularly on this topic of justification. And so if you want to hear more about justification, if you want to hear more about Romans chapter 4, we'll be talking about that tonight. But For the purposes of our conversation now, Abram was not justified by works, Paul says. What does it mean to be justified? I mean, we use that language kind of in church, but perhaps there's kind of a question about it. What is justification? Justification is a a legal term that refers to a judge's statement that a defendant, the accused party, is righteous in the eyes of the law. It's a statement by the judge declaring it to be so. 
making a statement about that defendant, declaring that person innocent of any crimes, and saying that that person has right standing in the eyes of the law. It's a statement by God. Spiritually speaking, justification refers to the declaration made by God that the sinner is now considered righteous in the eyes of God. This sinner has been declared to be righteous in the eyes of the law by God. Paul said that Abram was not justified by works. He was justified by a different means. He was declared righteous before God by faith and by faith alone. Well, the the guilty defendant can only be considered righteous in the eyes of the judge if the fine has been paid and if there is obedience to the law in its place. Righteousness credited to that account. Of course, you and I know that that penalty is paid by Jesus on the cross. You and I know that we actually do have a debt, that we actually do have a penalty that we owe, that we have, like Abram, we have not kept God's law. We have been disobedient to God, and thus there is a record against us. There are crimes that we've committed. There's a fine that we must pay. And so that's why God sent Jesus. Jesus, who was the one who was innocent himself and volunteered to step in to pay that penalty for my sin and for your sin, to pay that fine that we deserve, the fine that's too great for us to imagine. He stepped in to pay that. But, but it's more than just that our fine is gone, that our fine has been paid by someone else. There must be a record of law-keeping. In order for us to be righteous, we have to be law-keepers. But we don't keep the law. But Jesus kept the law. Jesus, in his life, was obedient to God. He was not only innocent in that he he never broke the law. He was not only innocent in that he never did anything wrong. He did everything right. He was obedient to God, thus he was righteous. And so he has a record of righteousness that can be given to us, credited to our account. And so how does this transition take place? How can we have our debt placed upon Jesus so that he pays it? And how can we have his righteousness credited to my account so that God can declare me to be righteous and I can stand in his presence? How can that be? Well, Paul says it's by faith. Because we read about it here in Genesis 15 that it is by faith that we are counted as righteous. And that is the only way. There is no other way for us to be so. And so we see that our passage here is answering those two questions, not just about how an old man who doesn't have any children can, can find an heir, but in exactly the same way the old man with no children will find an heir by faith is exactly the same way the sinful person can be reunited with holy God, can be brought into right relationship and have right standing with him, is by the same means. It's by trusting God and his promise to do so. Now, we're reading in the Old Testament. We're talking about Abram, and and Abram here lived hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And so this 
faith of, of Abram in trusting God is, is really a forward-looking faith, looking forward to when God would keep that promise and would give him that seed. And, of course, we know the story and how it develops, and we know that the ultimate seed who fulfills the promise that, that through you shall all the families of the earth be blessed is not through his son or his grandson, but through Jesus, who would come from him centuries later. So Abram's faith is looking forward, anticipating that God is going to keep his promise in giving him a seed who would fulfill all of these promises. Well, you and I don't live in that time. You and I don't live in Genesis 15 where we're looking hundreds of years in the future. You and I have a faith in essence that looks back. It's looking backwards to God having kept His Word to send that seed. God having kept His Word to send the one who's going to be the blessing to all the families of the earth. We look back. We go back to the New Testament from our perspective and we, we look and we see the events of Jesus' life. We read through the Gospels and we see that He actually was fully obedient. That though there were people who charged Him and, and came against Him, made accusations, that they, the accusations didn't stand because Jesus was always righteous. And He would actually reveal to them the folly of their accusations against Him. And he Himself was righteous. And then we read in the Gospels about how Jesus gave Himself to go to the cross. And when you read it in the context, you realize what a tragedy that is. You realize that this is, this is just wrong, that Jesus, the righteous one, goes to the cross. Well, then we read on into the New Testament. We read the epistles and we, we hear the writers of the New Testament explaining to us that this was done to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And so our faith, though it has future aspects that we look to, is built upon what has gone on, what God has done in keeping His promises in the Old Testament. So it was not only Abram who was justified by faith, but justification for us is in exactly the same way, by faith, by trusting God and trusting that God keeps His promises particularly his promises that whoever looks to Christ, whoever puts their faith in Him will have their sins forgiven, will be declared righteous before God. Those weren't just words God tells us. Those are promises God keeps. So you and I can sometimes get confused about how the New Testament relates to the Old Testament and, and all of that. We see the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament. We see all of these things that are, they're told to do, all the rules they're told to follow. And, and even when we're reading through there, we, we sometimes get confused. Man, it's a lot of rules. It's a lot of stuff. And we, we can get the idea that maybe that was the road to salvation. We wonder when we, when we read about that in the Old Testament and keep this law and, and you shall live and all this, and we might begin to wonder that maybe... Maybe in the Old Testament it was about keeping God's law, and if, if, if they would keep God's law, then they could be saved, they could be made right with God. We, we might think that. But as we are working our way through the Old Testament, and we're only 15 chapters in, we already have clarification for us where we might be confused. That the only way that sinful man can be made right with God 
is by faith, by faith alone. Here we have one of the greatest heroes in the Old Testament, one of the greatest heroes of the Jewish religion, Abram himself, Father Abraham. And we see him, that great man. And how is he counted righteous? By faith. By faith. Apart from works of the law. Apart from accomplishments of his own. And we, in our day, if we are to be justified, will be justified in exactly the same way. So I have just a, a couple of points of application that I want to conclude with. First, trust in Christ and His completed work on your behalf and stop trying to atone for your own sins in some way. It happens all too often that someone thinks, yeah, it's, you know, Jesus paid this price and He, he gave Himself and He was obedient and all that, but, but you don't know my sin how grievous my sin is, and, and we carry the guilt from the things that we, we've done, and, 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 and you may be thinking, my, my guilt is too great. Surely I need to atone for it somehow. Surely there's some kind of penance I must have in order to be really right with God. i got to pay something. Trust in Christ and His finished work. And there, and only there, you find peace with God. You find justification, a right standing with God by His own declaration. Faith in Christ is the only way you can be counted as righteous before God. He and His completed work on your behalf are fully sufficient. Your added payment is unnecessary. Your added payment will not sweeten the deal. Christ has done it, and He has done it completely. He is all you need, so trust in Him alone. Second point of application. If you have already been justified by faith in Christ, here's your practical application this morning. Praise God! <laughs> Praise God for what He has done. You don't have to add to it. There's nothing to contribute to make it a better deal for God. Praise God that He has saved you in spite of the fact that you don't deserve it. Rejoice. Rejoice. Praise Him. Give Him glory. Trust Him. Rest in Him. He has done it. He has done it. Give Him thanks that you are accounted righteous by simple faith. I'm reminded of a song that we sing occasionally, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in Thee. Let the water and the blood from Thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save me from its guilt and power. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my tears forever flow, all could never sin erase. Thou must save, 
and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to thy fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It's all of him. It's all of him. Praise God. And leave here praising God. Leave here trusting Him. Encourage your family to trust Him. Encourage one another. Let us encourage one another to trust Him and give Him glory that He has redeemed us not by the works that we have done, not by the contributions that we have made, but by the work that Christ Himself has done and finished, completed in His own life, his own death and resurrection. Praise God. Praise God for this passage. Praise God for this doctrine that started off talking about a child, offspring, provision, reward. How can Abram have a baby? And it ends up directing us to look to Christ, to look away from ourselves and our own accomplishments, to look away from our own designs that, that uh, yeah, we can... Uh, kind of like Abram wanted to have this child by means of, you know, adopting uh, Eliezer of Damascus. Well, very often in this life, when you go to share the gospel with someone, you go to talk about eternity, you go to ask them about how a sinful person can be made right with God, they, they come up with, a, with an idea of an Eliezer of Damascus that they can adopt, an alternative route that they can find to be made right with God, some way that they can jerry-rig that thing. Scripture is so clear, starting right here and all the way through, that you and I could never jerry-rig away to God. Jesus Christ has done it. And the accomplishment of it, the benefits, the rewards of it are ours by faith alone. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude our time, we want to lift up the name of Christ. We want to give you thanks for what you have accomplished in Him, that He took it upon Himself to obey you at every turn in our place, completely fulfilling your law, doing all that was required, being truly the righteous one, the only righteous one. And then he went to the cross because I have not been righteous, because we have not been righteous, because we have a debt of sin that if we were to attempt to pay, and many do, it would take eternity. But he went to that cross to bear our penalty, to pay our debt, to bear your wrath for our sin in his body on the tree. And Father, you have said that by the logic of Scripture, the means by which that righteousness and that forgiveness is made ours is by faith alone. And so we trust in Jesus. We trust alone in Jesus alone. And in Him 
we have reconciliation with you. We have righteousness credited to us. We have right standing before you. We get to be your children. And we rejoice in Jesus. We rejoice in this seed of Abraham through whom we are blessed, all the families of the earth. Father, may we go forth rejoicing in Christ. May we go forth clinging to Christ in in times when circumstances are really against us and it seems like you are not our shield and we have not been rewarded in you and it seems like we really need to fear. In those times, may we remember the reward that is ours in your Son. We rejoice in Jesus and we pray in his name. Amen. There's going to be a family up front to pray with you. They love to do that. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, Again, I would remind you about our evening service tonight at 6 o'clock across the way where we're going to be talking about Romans chapter 4. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. God bless you as you go. In Jesus' name, amen.